Two social workers on a mission to change the narrative. Elenio Baby's podcast seeks to empower others in making changes to maintain their physical, emotional, and mental health. This podcast is about becoming the best version of ourselves. I hope you feel inspired. Join Bria Spencer and Fadia Jean-Pierre bi-weekly as they initiate conversations about mental health, fitness, and travel. Share this with someone who needs it. Follow us on Instagram at millennial underscore babes underscore podcast. And let's continue the conversation. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Millennial Babes podcast. Today's topic will be about the impact of racism and its trauma on mental health. Racial trauma is real and we have had enough. Our guest, Jason Acosta, is a social worker who advocates for a systematic change and has a passion for working with youth in foster care and young men of color. Jason is also the host of this podcast, Life from the Bronx. Welcome, Jason. It is so great to have you today. I am excited. Is there anything else you want the world to know about you? No, I think you covered most of it. Uh, just Latino brother trying to make it, trying to do well, and uh, make sure that we create opportunities for people of color who come from our communities. That's that's me. I mean, y'all summed it up, but I just wanted to add that piece because I think identity is important. Yes. And I know we met at the Millenet Social Workers Brunch, was it last mm-hmm. year? So, And you were one of the panelists. So it was like a great event. And it was amazing with the topic, the conversation we're having, and then like just connecting with other people, networking. Like it was a great event. So we thought like it would be so great to have you on this conversation, um, on this conversation with us. Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me. Shout out to uh, Melanated Social Workers and all the work that, that, that they're doing and creating that space where we had an opportunity to meet and connect, right? Because I think that's a big part of, of the work is figuring out how we could build with each other and create and create these spaces. Okay. Today, as we know, COVID-19 is causing like an increase in mental health disorders and depression and anxiety. So according to the American Psychiatric Association, about 36% of Americans have had a serious um, impact on their mental health due to um, just the COVID-19. And remote therapy as talk space at breast size and telehealth has seen an increase of 65%. So we definitely have been like affected by this um, COVID-19. It's impacting our community. And now, not only we're just impacted by this, but we're also impacted by racial trauma. With everything that's happening, how are you feeling? Today, I'm okay. I think I'm a little better. I definitely was feeling very heavy. this past week, just finding myself waking up really frustrated and angry, but also feeling really passionate at the same time, like wanting to just voice how I'm feeling and supporting, you know, Black Lives Matter and reposting, you know, a lot of um, information as well, but also having conversations, you know, with my husband, who's also, who's also feeling it. And, you know, it definitely has impacted his, his emotional health and, checking in with my cousins, you know, and how, how they're doing as well. And so it's definitely been a trying time and through all of it, just trying to find a space to kind of like disconnect and what that looks like. So I've definitely had days where I logged out of all, all of social media for like an hour. So I was like, I need a minute <laughs> just to like reconnect and 
or even yesterday like I woke up really early and I was just like I need to decompress so what is that gonna look like so I got up early worked out went out got my hair done I was like I need to do something Mm -hmm. (laughs) came back and just watched movies and just rested I took a nap yesterday and woke up feeling so exhausted I was just like why do I feel so exhausted and have a headache and I was like all right I just need to just rest for today so that's what I've just been trying to do and today I actually feel a lot better a lot calmer as well what about you you, Jason (laughs) I'm okay I'm okay now I think similarly to uh what, what you were just sharing Bria for me oh last week was rough right just trying to figure out what what was happening and just constant reminders of of traumas from the past and just mm-hmm. uh, everything that our ancestors ancestors went through and what we're continuing to go through, what the next generation will go through. Uh, but really thinking about our, our young people as well and where they are and they're on the front lines. They're out there protesting. They're out there fighting mm-hmm. and fighting for, for for what they believe in and okay. and our rights. So I think that. There's a lot going on, and I was in a space where I was also upset, just over white people. Yes, <laughs> I was right. And, I mean, to be to be quite honest, and then you have to work, and a lot of our a lot of our industries, just a- any any industry that you choose, a lot of the industries are led by white folks, right? Who yeah. don't who don't ever really have to check their own privilege, etc. And it's just. How do you have all of this going on, show up at work, see our white white leadership, right? And continue to try to focus when you have all these thoughts in your mind and you're upset and you're frustrated and all these emotions are rising. Yeah. So I was going through all of that. And it's funny, I, I had delivered a, a keynote speak speech um, maybe like a week and a half ago now. And I didn't even know what to say. I had no idea. We were graduating high school seniors and and. I just sat there to think about this and I, I was asking myself, what, what do I say? Mm. And all I could think was Kendrick Lamar's lyrics, we're going to be all right. Yes. And so I, I started yes. singing the song. And as I was singing the song, I started to tear up because I didn't, um. I didn't even fully believe that. So here I am saying to myself, I'm going to encourage students and, one, I, I want to I want to validate where they where they are and how they feel. But two, just tell them that there is hope and and encourage them and tell them that things are going to be okay. But the reality is, at that time, I didn't even feel that. So I had to take some time to, you know, for for myself and process. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we came back to it. And I spoke uh, I spoke a lot about what it means to dream and having the permission to dream. Mm-hmm. So that's what what gave me some hope and those things are therapeutic for me. I get a chance to talk about it and just say whatever's on my mind and let it out. So I've had a ton of conversations with folks. Um, I've been pretty vocal about what's happening and I am now in better spirits and just Mm -hmm. trying to uh, reshift and recharge and figure out how to continue to play my role in, in all that's happening. Oh, that is a lot. It's like you're literally being, you're literally being hit from all angles mm-hmm. and it's just like oh my gosh and it's like a, sh- a shock to your body and, and your mind it's just like and all these emotions so you're all out of whack you're like i don't even know what to do to just grab on to hope mm-hmm. so when so when you're trying to encourage other people and be hopeful but like how when our whole system is all messed up right now so i definitely i definitely you know understand that feeling as well 
mm-hmm. I would have to say for me, like, I'm, like, today, I'm feeling anxious. Like, in this moment, I'm feeling anxious. Like, prior mm. to recording, I was, like, at ease. I was calm. But as I think about this topic, like, mental health and racism, the closer we were getting to recording, I started to like anxious. And not anxious because of, like, just the topic. It's just, like, of what's going to come up for us today. And, like, are we going to be able to talk about it? Like, how are we going to be able to process it? Like, yes, it's a topic we should talk about, but what is it going to do? Because, like you said, Jason, like, when you're delivering that speech, you couldn't even do it. You didn't even know what to say. And all you can think about is Kendrick Lamar's um, lyrics and just think about, like, hopes and saying to them, like, you know, talking about dreams. So, like, just the thought of it and just, like, when you're in the moment, it's, like, what's going to come up for you? Because the past couple of weeks have been challenging. Like, for me, like, I've been trying to, like, figure out a way to process everything, how to talk to others about it. Like, just trying to understand my own feelings um, about everything that's going on. I mean, we are stuck at home, barely even leave. And we have to deal with, like, just two things, the COVID-19 and, of course, like, the risk of everything that's happening. So I, I do agree, like, it's, it's definitely challenging. And I, it's, I'm definitely this today, I have to say. Mm-hmm. So, and, like, talking about, you know, uh, mental health, like, for you, Jason, like, how would you define mental health? Like, what is mental health? Because I know, like, for a lot of people, you know, with everything that's happening, I think, like, mental health is becoming more out in the open, you know, where it was a a stigma. It's a stigma to get help. It's a stigma to go to therapists, you know, Mm -hmm. to work on your problems. It's like, what is that? Especially for male also, too. So, it's like, in looking at this, you know, the um, event that's happening is definitely bringing awareness to mental uh, to mental health. It's probably making people think about, like, maybe I should check in. Maybe I should, like, you know, um, go see a therapist. So, like, what do you think is, like, you know, how would you define mental health? Like, what do you think is going on? I think I think that's a that's interesting, right? Because we can always look at a dictionary definition and see what mental health is, mm-hmm. but that never paints a full picture and when I think about mental health, I also just think about like psychologically what's happening mm-hmm. and all of the different things that we're seeing and experiencing, our own personal traumas alongside everything that we're seeing across the world in our cities and our neighborhoods, et cetera, and how all that adds up almost like as a package to collectively impact you in some way. And so when I think of mental health, I really think about just the state of being. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what that means for me is really trying to take a step back and 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 unpack and really look at just am i okay Mm -hmm. like starting with that question am i okay right and what does it mean for me to be okay what that means is getting up out of bed going through my routine having motivation to to do exercise read a book do some work something if I am not able to go through some of these things, I know something is up. And in real time, I may not be able to call out what those things are because I am, I am going through the motions, right? I'm trying to figure this out. And so the minute that I know, like, why, why don't, why, why don't I feel like getting out of bed today? Something is up. Right. And that's your mental health, right? Exactly. When you think about yeah. it, like something is up mm-hmm. and I'm fortunate to be able to really think deeply about who I am and how I'm feeling and interrogate my own thoughts. But I don't think that's the case for a lot of people. And so what happens is you, you channel that energy differently and you channel all of those emotions differently. And if you're not able to take a step back to really think about where, where your mental state is, that can 
come out in different forms and in different ways, right? We channel all those things so differently. So I think having somebody to at least speak to, whether that's your therapist, a friend, whoever it is, like that's always super helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Trying to write sometimes, right? Writing is therapeutic. Taking a second to really write down my thoughts and see where I'm at. Listening to music, exercising, going for runs. I go for runs, then after my run, sometimes I sit out by the water. Yeah. And really just think about where am I? Regather my thoughts, recharge, yeah. get my mental health right, and and keep moving. But also acknowledging that it, I'm not okay. Yes. You know, yeah. I think that that that's okay too. We there's so much pressure on us to feel like we have to change the world sometimes, specifically with social workers, right? And that's not always, that's that's not always the reality. So for me- We feel like we have a cake. Yeah, so for me, I'm okay with saying I'm not okay. And saying that to to young people and other people around me, colleagues, they're, at, they're checking in. Yo, how are you feeling? I don't feel well. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So you, you, you know what mental health looks like for you. You have your own coping skills. And again, like you said, there's a lot of people who deal with mental health differently. I, I know for some what they used to just try and recenter themselves is I'm going to just you know, lay in bed all day and I'm going to just look at random movies to help me just keep my mind off of things or play yeah. video games or go out for a walk. So it, it really does come down to, like you said, acknowledging um, that you're not okay first. And then what are you going to do next to feel okay? And what are those positive outlets going to look like? Because everyone is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to go, like, really emphasize on this and I want to go back to it, like, I want to acknowledge like all of our feelings, like it's, they're valid. Like they're valid feelings that it's okay to feel the way you're feeling. It's, it's a normal thing to say like, I'm not okay. Because a lot of people, you know, they feel like they have to be strong. Like I have to get through this. Like we have to get up and we have to go. And when you're not being aware of what's going on with yourself and your state of mind, like your day to day is going to get disruptive. And, and I'm happy that you said like, like for you, you have your, you're saying to yourself, I'm not okay. And people are checking in and it's, and, and it's good that other people are saying like, you know what, I know I'm dealing with this as well. I'm having a hard time, but let me check on a friend. Let me check on a family member. And it, it means a lot because everyone, the whole nation is, is impacted by this whole thing. And it's bringing Mm -hmm. a lot of different emotions for us in sense of like, we can feel like hopeless. We can feel like we're helpless and confusion, just a lot of emotion that not a lot of us are probably don't know how to deal with in this time. And just watching like um, just the news and just what's going on, just to see like little kids that are out protesting. <laughs> like, yeah. how are they doing? Are they even okay? Like, that's hard for yeah. me to see. Yeah. Like, what do you, what about you guys? I mean, do you, what do you think, like, is going on with those kids? Like, what do you think, like, is happening? Like, you know, because I know it's hard for parents to address those things, but just to see them out and just, especially that, that little girl, that seven-year-old little girl who's saying, like, no justice, no peace. That's, that's impacting the world to see that. Like, how is mm-hmm. her mental health? You know, like, everyone is affected by this in some way. I mean, I think it's, it starts at that age, though, you know, at, at just or like four or five years old, it starts at that age where they 
they do begin to see some, okay, well, you know, why does she look different than me? And then those conversations do have to start with the parents on educating children, okay, there are going to be other kids who look different. There are going to be other kids who may not like you for the skin color that you are. And this is how you respond, but you still respond with love and just know that you are not wrong. Like my daughter is four years old and she went to the, the protest with us. And I told her, um, you know, it's okay. You have a voice. And I always want you to feel safe to use your voice and just know that you are beautiful no matter what anyone tells you. And she was just like, okay, but what are all these people here for? So, well, these people are here to support people who look like us because there are people who are mean and they don't like us for how we, the color of our skin. And she was just like, all right. She didn't really understand it, but she understood it. And then when she starts, she's very observant. So when she started to look at the crowd, she's like, it, I don't know, I feel like it made her look at things differently. She thought it was also diverse and she was right there putting up her fist too. Um, and so it's also providing a safe space for them whenever they have questions to answer honestly and kindly as as much as you can, but also knowing, you know, that for their age too, that there are some things that they're not going to understand. And as they grow older, they continue to have these conversations as well. I think uh, I think you hit it, right? I don't have any children myself, but uh, in, in work that I've done or continue to do with young people, even as an adjunct professor, I often think about this, right? I taught a, uh, I just wrapped up a semester and I was teaching a college course for high school students who were going to Hunter College mm-hmm. for this college course. And I would often think about their experience with systemic racism. And the majority of my students this semester were, were students of color with the exception of Baby Light 2. Um, and so they went, a lot of them are learning about their own history for the first time in mm-hmm. that class. Mm-hmm. And I think that's problematic. I'm not surprised, right? Something about like 80% of, of, of textbooks written in our public schools across New York City are written by white folks. So it's their right. narrative, it's their story. And that reflects education across the nation in general, right? So we know that they're not learning any of this in the school system where they spend most of their time. So Bria, to your point, I think it's important that we're able to have those conversations for those of us who have children or, or younger siblings or whatever the case, and just be real with them. And it's hard. They may not be able to grasp everything, but there are little bits and pieces that be, they'll, they'll be able to, to soak up and remember. And I think it's such a big part of their history and their identity, right? That's stripped away from us often as we grow up. We don't learn about these things. So I think the sooner you're able to learn about it, the more empowered you become and the more powerful you become. And I think that's what that's what ultimately becomes a threat to society. But I think it's it's so important to just be real and have these conversations and just whatever they understand or whatever questions they have, let talk about it, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree. And for you, like as you're teaching those college courses, like for uh, for those students, like how do you see racism in the classroom or have you experienced racism and what did it look like for you like growing up and like even in the classroom like how's that like for you yeah so before i even jump into that i think it's important for for me personally to also just think about my own roots right my own culture and racism that existed there because that's 
that's often not spoken about either, right? So ha- have I experienced that discrimination, all of that? Yes. So I'm going to connect this, but we have to think yeah. about the hundreds of years of racism, right, that this country was built on, but, but many other countries, right, in Latin America as well. So mm-hmm. one thing, I don't know if you've had these conversations with other Latinx folks, but one thing that you often find to be complex in our com- in community is race, right? So we know right, all these identity markers are social constructs, right? But when you ask a Latinx person what their race is, a lot of times they respond with their ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So we know there's a disconnect. We don't we don't always know the difference mm-hmm. between ethnicity and race. Ethnicity being pretty much associated with a geographical area, but really takes into account culture, traditions, practices, etc. Whereas race is usually some biological lineage, right, to yeah. to a particular place. And so I think that this was one of the biggest things for me to to unpack, learn, and understand. I'm Puerto Rican and Salvadorian. Mm-hmm. What is the history of those two places? And for me, they were really similar, right? Slavery, racism, genocide by white people, committed by white people. So this started to make me want to learn more about my own culture, my own upbringing. Keep, keep, also keep, keep in mind, right? For further context, I didn't really start to learn about this until college when I started doing my own exploration. Mm-hmm. So it started in some of my social work classes, but I, I went beyond that to try to understand language, right? So when we think about the word Hispanic, that has its origins in Spain and talking about folks who come from Spanish-speaking origins and so, some sort, right? And so mm-hmm. that word is, is so closely tied to white supremacy that you see a lot of Latinx folks no longer use that term because you're learning now, right? Like we're in this space where we're trying to learn more and more about mm-hmm. who we are. And so as we learn more, we know like Hispanic, that word used by the government is problematic, right? But they didn't, they didn't know how to identify folks from Latinx descent. No, no idea. So they said, we're going to call you all Hispanic, right? Mm. White supremacy. And so as you kind of go deeper into that history, you talk about the 1500s in El Salvador, right? Which is which one half of my ethnicity. Then you think about the 1500s when white settlers settled in El Salvador, where there were indigenous folks, enslaved them, and at the same time brought over African folks, right? Enslaved them and had them all working in, in, across plantations. And so at one point in the 1600s, the native folks, the indig- indigenous folks, were uh, free, right? There was a law that was passed, they were free. Mm -hmm. But then, as they killed so many Native Americans, there were less and less folks, right? So they were being extinct. And at the same time as they were being freed, they needed other folks to come and do that work. What they do, they brought more Africans over, right? Enslaved them and had them working in the fields. So as you start to think about this, nobody from El Salvador is really taught about this today. You don't learn (laughs) about the, the, the... influence and the and 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 the culture mm-hmm. and everything that was going on in El Salvador where in which like there was so much interracial mixing happening between indigenous folks, Africans, yeah. right, and other folks, right, let alone white settlers who rape everybody. So when you think about all of this, you you it the the question about race becomes so complex yeah. because of that history, right? Yeah. And so you start to think like I, I don't know what my race is, so I'm going to just tell you what my ethnicity is. On top of that, you're talking about colorism in Latinx community and all the same other issues that systemically we, we, we tend to face across, across the nation, across the world. 
And I think it's important to bring that up, right? Because as we fast forward, we start to then um, continue to ask these questions about police brutality. We continue to ask these questions about predominantly white institutions that don't don't accept a lot of people of color, right? We start to ask all these questions, but we don't know the origins of them. And so when you think back to the 1500s, in which many of our ancestors were enslaved, right? And then you fast forward to today and you see, and you're seeing uh, black folks and Latinx folks, mainly right now, right? We don't want to take away from what's happening. So black folks being, being killed, right? By people that are supposed to be protecting us. So I think it's important to, to think about that. That's all trauma. That is all, that is all trauma, right? So now I'm sitting back and I've never learned about my history. I go and do some research. And as I'm doing this research, I find out that my ancestors were essentially enslaved, right? And all it does is makes me angry as I learn more about what white people have done. And then I, and then we fast forward and I'm still fighting against systemic racism, right? So I'm like, what the hell is going on? All it has done was kind of disguise itself. Racism disguised (laughs) itself, right? Differently. So we know that on the other hand, in Puerto Rico, uh, we know we know this, a similar history, right? And I think Puerto Rico became a U.S. territory in eighteen in eighteen ninety eight, right? And so when they became a U.S. territory, part of a big part of that motivation was to have Puerto Ricans fight in World War One, right? And so that happened. But then you have uh, 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 um, one of our one of one of the biggest uh, advocates and, and social just social justice fighters, right? From Puerto Rico, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. I actually feel like I need to look this up to yeah. give you the most accurate information because we yeah, need this. Too. This is important stuff to think about, right? Um, Pedro Albizo Campos, right? And so he, Harvard graduate, right? And a really intelligent man who was so influenced by everything the United States was telling him at that time, right? If you come, if you join us in World War One, we're going to give you freedom. Ex- mm-hmm. That ain't never happened. Right. It was a bunch of bullshit and it didn't happen. And so as he started to learn more about um, the just like the, the reality behind the United States and, and the truth behind them, he then was like, yo, this is BS. Started to rebel. He wanted to free his people in Puerto Rico over the years. He ended up serving 26 years for trying to overthrow the U.S. government. Right. In Puerto Rico. So think about all of this. So this is the history of of our people. Right. And now we fast forward and there's so much missing, so much missing, right? We didn't even, so, so we fast forward though. And then today, you know, I, I start to really think about what systemic racism looks like across every industry, right? Everybody has a chief of diversity officer in their, in their company or their organization or their school system. Yeah. Right. Because they want to make, they, they want to create diverse spaces, right? So. Right. But they don't really understand or know, mm-hmm. or they don't look like people of color mm-hmm. or they're a white person. Like, how, how are you leading this diversity group? Exactly. And so, and, and, and diversity is just simply representation. Yeah. It's numbers, right? And, and yeah. Inclusion is including voices and mm-hmm. equity is making sure that everybody has the same resources, space and opportunities to thrive, right? So we mm-hmm. don't, don't, it's important to understand all of those things. But I also think as it comes, as, as we kind of come back, and this is a long-winded response, but I think it's important to think about okay. all of these things, right? And Definitely. for me, I think the first time that I really, really, really saw racism in front of me and I was able to call it out was when I was in high school. And I, 
I re- I would used to be a part of, a part of this academic program that I would have to go to that was down on Wall Street. Shout out to them. The uh, SEO is the acronym Sponsor Education Opportunity, and so they they've done a lot of a lot of amazing work and continue to do work with students. And I was with a group of my high school friends, and we were going to the store in the Wall Street area, and we were all there. And I I think if I remember correctly, we were going in there. I, I think we wanted to buy something. We didn't end up getting anything, so we're walking toward out out the store. The guy that works in the store. Uh, straight up, like, targeted one of my fr- high school friends, right, who was black, and accused him of stealing. Literally, we walked in there, and we were, we were there probably, like, a couple seconds, right? We were like, oh, we didn't say anything we wanted, so we were about to walk out. They didn't look at me. They didn't look at um, any of my other friends who were, who were fair of skin. They literally just zoned in on him, right, mm. and accused him of stealing. They even went so far as to try to check his pockets. Wow, and so that was the first time where I I saw it like up front in my face, and I was like, "Yo, this is crazy." But at that time, I don't have the language; I don't have the words. And as at that same time, right, I grew up in foster care, so for me, I was just trying to figure out who I was, and uh, and so that's what led me to, in college to really explore social work and my own identity and who I am. But from that moment, it, it kind of stuck to me, right? And then growing up in the South Bronx police officers always treated you negatively, right? I, I rarely came across uh, uh, positive folks. So I always had so many questions. My, my questions were always like, why do police treat us this way? I experienced police brutality when I was 16 years old. They didn't care about the academic progress, the honor society I was in, the Skidmore College, free college program I was going to go to that following some, they just beat my ass. They saw me as anybody else in the street, right? And assumed that like I was up to no good. They, they, there are no questions asked. They didn't care about that, right? So, again, you talk about racism and discrimination. Like, this this is just... All you do is see this growing up. You just don't know, at least in my community, you just don't have the words for it. So, that situation ha- happens with my high school students. Police officers consistently stopping you and harassing you. Police brutality happens. Um, I have metal detectors in my school. I'm being checked every day as I walk into the school building by police officers and security guards that are treating me like I'm in jail. Gates are on my windows. Mm. My peers aren't graduating, right? So I had all these questions. I'm like, Mm -hmm. what the hell is going on? And why are people treating me this way? Why is it that the media is always saying something negative about about me and like people that look like me or come from the South Bronx? There's never nothing positive highlighted. So I had all these questions. And what I essentially came to find out was that all of the systemic inequities that we experience and this institutional racism is intentionally created to keep people from moving forward, people of color from mm-hmm. moving forward, right? And as and the darker skin you are, the darker your skin is, the more and more marginalized you become because of the way our nation and the world was created in terms of white privilege, right? So I might have more privilege than you just off or just off the bat because I'm a fairer skin. And so mm-hmm. I think we have to really think about what all of this means and the systems that were created to keep us segregated intentionally, right? And so in college, having professors, y'all there had a professor who was like, yo, oh, you, you, you Salvadorian? That means you part of MS-13, oh, right? Wow. Trying to make a joke out of this. Wow. But you, you got to think about this. All the students in the class are white. I went to a predominantly white institution. I'm the only person of any color sitting in that mm-hmm. particular class. And this white professor makes this joke. Freshman year. And you, it, it's kind of like, yo, you, you just aren't, you aren't safe anywhere, <laughs> right? It's just kind of like, wherever I go, I'm going to be reminded, either because I come from where I come from, I look the way I look, 
you know, whatever the case is, I'm going to consistently be, re- be reminded of, of the fact that I am a Latino brother, right? And it doesn't matter where I go, people are going to have their thoughts. And what does that mean? So all of this kind of now leads me and has for the past few years to just saying like, fuck racism. Like we're going we gonna to break this down. And I may never see that in my lifetime, but I could plant seeds. Yeah. <laughs> So the next generation, mm-hmm. right? Bria, to yes. your point, you're planting seeds, right? For your little ones. Yes. Yes. Because it's not just you that, I mean, African-American, like everyone is going through it. Everyone is feeling it because it's like being, you know, for me, like coming, working into New York in a school and seeing security system, I'm not used to that in Connecticut. We, we I don't see that. So for me, that was different. And like you said, like just being, you know, for someone to look at you and say like, hey, are you part of this group? Are you, you know, part of this? And like, you know, it's it's gotta be hard on all the kids i mean it's hard if it's, it's hard on you but like for having little ones like you that are going through that it i can imagine how they're feeling yeah and it's it's how you show up in the world like they just see you like okay you look like this this is your skin color we're gonna put you in this category and you know, just to even tie back to what you said, Jason, like, okay, like, you're fair-skinned and they automatically put you back into this this bubble of who you should be, but then it also goes back into, like, you know, colorism, you know, and so, oh, so you're black, but you're li- you're really light-skinned, so you can pass, like, you're probably, like, you're, like, a white, and you're articulate, okay, you're not really <laughs> black, but no, I am 100% black, and on top of that, I'm Haitian, so, do you know my history? We were the first country to gain our independence and we fought for that, <laughs> you know? So, and then just even thinking, you know, within within our country, that colorism is also something that is, is huge. You know, if you're fair skin, lighter skin, you're rich. And if you're darker skin, you're, you're poor as well. So it, everything inter, interconnects. Um, I'm also very, very happy to see that even the Haitian community just supporting the Black community right now and just coming and gathering together. Like, if we can do it, you guys can do it too as well. Um, and going even back to, like, planting the seeds, I was talking to my husband the other day, and I was like, she might just be the next generation to tear shit <laughs> I mean, have you just seen these little kids um, out there protesting? Like, I'm just like, wow. Like, for yes. me, like, I'm just like I'm. I'll be nervous to bring my own kids, but I'm like, they're out there. They're it, we're doing it for them. They're, they're the reason why we keep fighting. There's the reason why we keep doing what we're doing because they're the next generation. We're gonna need them, and they need us to keep fighting. They need us to like just be able to get through this because it's it's not easy at all. It's not. It definitely isn't. Yeah, and I've had my I had I've had my own share of like you know racism as well. Like I, I could even think back to middle school like I was walking I was probably walking to like um a cousin's house like right after school that we would go to in in a group of you know white boys in a in a car drove by and yelled out nigger and I was like and I felt it and I was like I felt it and I was hurt but I kind of still didn't really understand it at that age and then you know going to high school and then feeling like you know, having your guidance counselor saying to you, you can't, you shouldn't apply to that Ivy League school. Mm. You won't get in. Excuse me? Why? Why wouldn't I get in? And it's, it's, and it's like, we have to continue to push 
to push through those obstacles. And some some kids don't have that. They hear that and it really breaks mm-hmm. and tears them down. They don't mm-hmm. have those tools to just be really like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. And so how do we, how do you instill those, if someone tells you no, no, you keep going. And I also think it's really important for the teachers too to just rally behind their, their students, white or black or, his, you know, Latino. So it, it's, I don't know, I feel like we mm-hmm. just need to break shit mm-hmm. down, keep mm-hmm. on screaming, you know. Yeah, yo, it's so interesting. You just, you know, you were just talking about this experience of uh, white boys driving by in a car, right? And, and shouting out the N-word. I had the same situation happen. So it was a group of us on a, on our college campus in the summer. We said we had stayed up there for the summer working and it was a group of us, right? There's Latino brothers that look like me and my, my friends who identified as black. We were together talking in front of the housing, um, our, the, the, the housing complex that we were staying at. And we were all talking there, just kind of hanging out, talking to college, things that you see on a college mm-hmm. campus all the time. And it was a group of white boys that did the same thing. They drove by, Yelled out the N-word at all of us. It didn't matter that I was, I looked the way I do at the time. Mm-hmm. All my friends were of darkest. And their, in their minds at that time, we were all one and the same. Whatever it would, whatever was going on in their head, they were like, this is who y'all are. Y'all are all uh, inferior, right? And like, and they kept mm-hmm. going. Here's where they fucked up, right? So, <laughs> so here's, and here's, here's the thing, right? So, we started to go across campus to go, there was a gas station. We were going to the store, it had, it had a gas station. As we're going to the store, the same car that drove by with that group of people are sitting right in the damn parking lot. So we go across the street and um, we see them sitting there. And my boy approaches the car immediately and he's like, yo, what you say? And literally just pressing him like off the, the dudes were so scared. They like frightened, afraid, scared. As my boy approached the car, he said, what you say? And they were, he was about to hit. I grabbed him. Here's here here's the problem with racism yeah. right here, right? And all these challenges, right? Because b- you have white white boys and white folks who can say whatever the hate, hell they want to say, especially on college mm-hmm. campuses. But if people of color react, they're the ones who receive yeah. the con- we forget about the words that were used mm-hmm. and what was happening. The people of color who reacted are now going to get expelled, kicked out of campus, or face some sort of consequence about those folks. This is what you call white privilege, right? Walk away like nothing happened. And so I grabbed my boy because mm-hmm. I knew that. And I grabbed him because I didn't want I didn't want any of us to get kicked off campus. I didn't want and although those dudes deserved it, like had it been any other setting, I probably would have let it rock, to be honest. But I thought so much about how hard we have to fight just to make it to, yeah. to college, right? Given all the things that are uh, up against us. And I, I grabbed him and had to, I try to like remind him of that. He's not, yo, he ain't wrong at all. He should have hit him, right? Like I probably wouldn't, this is not a good thing, but I probably would have encouraged it if we were <laughs> whatever at that time. And so, again, the fact that I have to tell my friends who are so mm-hmm. hurt by this mm-hmm. to let it go, mm-hmm. right, is, is crazy. I, I, somebody who was also upset angry at what had what just had happened have to go stop my friend and those mm-hmm. white boys get to keep going and do it to another group of folks mm-hmm. with no consequences ever 
And I think that's why everybody's at the point right now they're saying enough is enough because it's like we all have to hold back. Like, because you know what's going to happen and you don't want to deal with that. You don't want to put your, you don't want to deal with the consequences. You want to deal with it, even if it's right or it's wrong, because you know that if I react this way as a black person or the, of someone of color, this is the result of what's going to happen. It's the possibility and of losing your life. People. Like, that shouldn't have to exactly. be the, not going to jail. I can lose my life today. Losing your life. Because someone just wants to be racist. Mm-hmm. And what breaks my heart is um, is hearing little kids saying, like, are they going to do this to me? Are they going to mm-hmm. kill me? Are they, you know, like, they're seeing these images. And at, they're so young. And this is the image that's, that's what they have to worry about. That They should be outside playing. They should be, you know, learning. But they're worrying about, like, is this going to happen to me? Like, today, earlier on Instagram, I saw a video of this little girl saying, like, stop killing us. She's not even seven years old. And then I have, like, two of my cousins who's really struggling with this because they live in a predominantly white neighborhood and they're always getting you know picked on and my little cousin's struggling with that and and then for you and for me I'm just like I I don't know you know you don't know what to do it's like you want to help them you want to protect them from it but it's like like it's all over our faces all it's all around us and I think that's why everyone is coming together saying like yo this is too much like enough is enough and for you to stand up you know being there for your friend and not being able to like you know saying this is wrong to this person because you know like if he reacts this way in a negative way, he's about to get kicked out of college. Like, no one shouldn't have to feel that way. No one shouldn't have to go through that. Like, you shouldn't have to wake up and a parent, a parent shouldn't have to worry about their kids leaving, you know, are, are you coming back once you walk out mm-hmm. the door? Like, those are day-to-day stress that we shouldn't have to carry on and on our hearts and have to worry about. It's, it's, it's very challenging. Very challenging. So, so Jason, in talking about all that and racism, how it affects you and Bria, like how your your experiences impacted you as well. It's like, what should we expect in our community now in terms of mental health? Like, what is that going to look like? How is like how is everyone going to get impacted by it now? Like, what is how is our community going to be infected um, infected by this? Because this is like changing rapidly for everyone, especially men too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think you're seeing it. <laughs> if I'm being honest, like I, 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 you're seeing it, right? And it, it was only a matter of time. And some people ask a question, like, or or make the statement that their surprises didn't happen earlier, mm-hmm. right? Everything that we're seeing, and and it's 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 tough, right? It, but we have to understand. And I think the important thing to to keep in mind here is that this ain't it, it right now it's not just about people of color it's really about yeah. focusing on how we support our black folks our black brothers and sisters right because th- they this is who's impacted by it and so i know a lot of times we kind of interchangeably use mm-hmm. uh, uh the words people of color and black folks and no 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 let's not get it twisted right now we are focusing on how how we can be allies to black folks but also support them and and fight with them as they've always done for everybody else, right? And I think uh, I come back to what I was talking about with 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 the roots of our at, at, at least my my Latin history, right? Because that part is always erased from Latin culture, and so, but it's but but Latin culture is so heavily influenced by Africa when you think about music, instruments, etc. So we've been able to kind of 
like talk to each other about that and educate some of some of us. But there are so many folks that need to, to learn so much more. So coming back to this, I think you're seeing the impact of this. I think people are dealing dealing with it in different ways. I think that I don't know what's what's to say the right way to deal with it or the wrong way. I I just think my I, for me, I think my playing my role means to continue to do what I'm doing and being outspoken and informing people, raising awareness, teaching folks, mm-hmm. educating folks, and being there to talk to folks and listen and and be as supportive as as I could be. I think. You know, like I said, unfortunately, in, in this case, I am going to say people of color, they've been tra- mm-hmm. traumatized by all the institutional racism over the years, right? And so how have we dealt with it then? And I think that that continues to happen, but I think right now it's, it's important to just for me to be there for whoever needs to talk. I think men, men, men are men of color and particularly black men as well. Um, you know, they, they need to be reminded that t- the same thing you said, Bria, right? Like mm-hmm. you're beautiful. Your skin yeah. is beautiful. You matter. Your dreams matter. And I think we have to, it's, it's unfortunate that we have to continue to say those things because we live in a society that continuously reminds us otherwise. But I think we have to continue to remind people that, yo, you, yes. you matter. And, and, um, you know, I think that that's one of the biggest things that we're talking about healing that we can do is is constantly reinforce that notion that uh you know you you're beautiful you matter your hair is beautiful right your people are beautiful your mm-hmm. culture is beautiful and celebrate that so i th- i think that for me right now is kind of all i can really think about in terms of 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 being a su- somebody who's an ally and who can support and and continue building mm-hmm. on the yeah. work that i'm already I definitely... doing right agree with with all that you said and and having a safe space just to talk to someone that you trust or just a a group of friends that you can come together and express how you're feeling um you know now I'm seeing that there are a lot more free resources you know for mental health and trying Mm -hmm. to to speak to a therapist so you know definitely advocating for to reach out and to have those resources for yourself um, and if, if that's something that one isn't fully comfortable doing, um, just again, thinking about, okay, how am I feeling today? I'm not okay. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling frustrated. All right. Yeah. What am I going to do to make myself feel better? You literally have to just have a self-talk. And if that mm-hmm. self-talk looks mm-hmm. like five to 10 minutes, just sitting somewhere quiet, that is, that's okay as well. Um, it's really important right now to just breathe life back into yourself breathe life back into you know our black brothers and sisters as well yeah they need it especially like what you said we are too like just disconnecting from the news and social media because the more we consume the more effect it's having on us um and it's really important that they we find we have a safe space we need a safe space and that's the same thing we we when anyone comes to therapy, we tell them, like, this is a safe space for you. This is a space where you can talk about anything. You know, it's confidential. And, you know, we're going to help you navigate through those things. But if you don't feel that, if you feel like you don't have that safe space, you're not going to be able to go to that person. You're not going to be able to talk about it. And and it worries me, like, how our brothers, like, our king is going to be impacted by this and, like, the challenges that they're going to have. And, like, I and 
what is available for them and I want them to reach out and like I want them to say like it's not okay and that and we're seeing it like they're saying like it's not okay this is like way too much um you know like you have fathers who weren't about their sons they're worried about themselves you know um like for you Bria like you your husband like he's worried about this and he's leaving and you have a daughter it's like mm -hmm. what's gonna happen mm -hmm. yeah you know it's <laughs> this is this is random but kind of related as you're yeah. talking about like a union, right? Like a relationship and kids. I literally had this conversation yesterday with my, um, my homegirl. We went for a run and we were walking and I was thinking about our current times and interracial <laughs> dating. And I'm, I'm, I'm serious, right? And I don't want to- No, no, because I've been thinking like, about it too. Like, I've been thinking about it too. But, but, but I was walking with her and she's a Dominican sister and- and I'm walking with her and we were talking and I said, I don't, I don't know what I would do, say, or think if I was dating a white woman right now. Mm -hmm. And, and one thing I always said about anybody, any woman that I date is that my hope is that they fully understand where I'm, where I'm coming from and culture, et cetera, because it, it, the, the work is so deeply rooted for me. Right. And so um, that was one question I had in my head. I was just kind of walking and I asked, I was like, yo, could, do, what do you think is happening in these households holds where you have um, a white person who is in a relationship with someone of color, right? For, forget it. We know, we already know it's probably getting super tense if, if, you, if the relationship is a, is, a, is a white person and a black person, right? But at, almost like any person of color and this white person, like what is happening? Anybody who yeah. understands, Let, let's change that. Anyone who understands the dynamics and what we are. It's not going to be difficult. I mean, especially, it's like you want to support your your community, but then you're just like, I, I don't want to offend. You know, I, I, I want to know too. Like, that's interesting that you bring that up because I also think about that. I'm like, what about those people that are in those relationships? Like, how they're dealing with this? Like, how do they feel about this? And, you know, I do see couples who, you know, who are in those relationships and they're doing very well and they support each other and they love each other. And it's like, is this bringing things for them? Like, their families, how do their family mm -hmm. feel? Does, you know, are they, you know, are they like, well, you know, I'm going to, not talk to you for a while, like, how oh, they're infected by this, because sometimes might be like, mm, I don't know, you're with this person, but this is what's going on, but not not everyone is, is doing it, but it, it is definitely a question, like, I wonder how this kind of conversation is happening, I'm wondering, like, what's happening, and, like, how they're feeling, and also, like, it must be an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it must be. I definitely have thought about it, definitely have been on my mind, like, Hmm. how is it going on over there and you know from from what I've seen like we have family members who are interracial relationships and, and married and have kids um, and from what I've seen is that in that household that they do speak about race racism as well and they teach their kids you know good. and mm. to the point where mm -hmm. you know my mom she's white and she she goes hard and she understands and she but she also mm. has um made it a point to understand the culture so that she knows how to respond and knows how to support her husband knows how to support mm. her kids and knows how to support you know the community as well and how to teach her kids to respond to racism when they are in, when they are in school and so i think when i think about it 
I have nothing against interrelationship you love who you love at the same time. I would hope yeah. that the person that you're in the relationship with is able to empathize and understand your history and your culture. Be able to learn and listen and ask questions so that when shit goes down like this, they know how to respond and they know how to back up, back you up as well. And so that's, I think about it and that's what I always continue to come back to is that I just hope that they're in a space where they are able to really just empathize and understand but also be willing and open to learn. Mm-hmm. And asking for help too, I think, is just like if you don't know how to have the conversation or how to go about it, and to like seek the help, you know, so that they're able to do that. And in talking about like families and international problems, like what about foster, like kids who are in foster care, who may, who doesn't have parents, who doesn't really have like people who might be guiding them. Like we have people that are around, but like how they might be dealing with this, with everything. Yeah, and I think identity is 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 even more complex, right? When you're talking about young people in foster care, because I I know for myself, like for seven years mm-hmm. of my life, I was living with a black family from like okay. five to twelve, um, and and the foster mom came from the deep south, right? So I was used to that culture and and played such a big role in who I am today, and at 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 the age of 12, then I came back to the Bronx and then I was, I, I was raised with a Puerto Rican family. So now getting back into one of my roots, Spanish was my first language, but because I, I, you know, I had entered the system didn't have anybody mm-hmm. to practice it with. Mm-hmm. I lost that. Right. I don't even speak fluent Spanish right. anymore. So I think that, so think about that. And it's exactly why I wanted to focus on who I am as a, as a person, because you don't know you. And I only live between two families. You got, you, your, your average young person in foster care is moving around mm-hmm. numerous times from family to family to family. Think about all the different cultures they're interacting with. Uh, think about all the different ethnicities and, and the different people that they're interacting with, right? And so that that individual probably has a lot of questions. And I, I uh, you know, I, I don't know what <laughs> what that must be for, for folks right now. Too, yeah, know? that's that worries me too because, like, with like you said, like they're being moved around so much and you're interacting with different culture. Like, how was that for you? Like, you know, being into different culture because, like, how was that for you? Like, what did that look like for you? And yeah, I, I don't even know. Um, it was, it was, yeah. you don't know what to think of it, like, you know, when you're in this situation, but I think that, uh, for me, it was. It was really just trying to, for me, I had a lot of questions about my own biological parents who, who are in my life at that time. My mom always, my, always been in my life and still in my life. And we have a great relationship now. But I think that uh, you're just trying, you want love more so. Like you're thinking more so about like what love looks like as a kid. And you don't know how to ask that or say, ask for that or say that. And so it comes, it came out for me in, in, in anger a lot and. So I had my own like challenges, but I think that I was heavily influenced by the culture of the household I was in as a, as a child. And I learned a lot and I was, um, I also had a lot of challenges, right. But it, it almost in a weird way, my, my Latin roots came, it was like secondary for me because it came in my teenage years almost, right. Like as from one to five, you're a child, right? You're just soaking everything in. 
from five to twelve, I, I was in school. I was playing sports. I was, you know, what I'm saying. I was growing up um, with a black family, and I was learning everything that, as a child, I'm soaking in their, the culture and learning everything that they're mm-hmm. telling me and teaching me and stuff like that. You know, and so I, I didn't even know like what it meant to be Latino at that time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so when I came to my Puerto Rican household. You know, that's when I started eating more rice and beans. And I started hearing more people speak Spanish. And, you know, and I was just like, and my sister, uh, she was able to hold on to, to that, right? Because she was a little, she was a couple years older than me and was in class taking Spanish classes and stuff too. So she was fortunate and she's still fluent. And I'm the only one who's not. So you can imagine Puerto Ricans already got a stereotype that they don't speak mm-hmm. Spanish. So am I going to sit there and be like, oh, I don't speak Spanish because I grew up in Kent? No, I'm going to just be like, all right, whatever. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I just take it for what it is, you know, instead of, it's just it's whatever, you know. Sometimes I take the, the time to be like, do you know why I don't speak Spanish? And they'll make the assumption, oh, you're Puerto Rican, you were born here. And I would be like, sure, if that's what you want to think. But when the minute I tell them, like, oh, I grew up in Kent, they, they hold, like, attitude shift like oh my god now you want to feel bad get on my face like you know you know what i'm saying um like not don't feel bad for me i'm a grown-ass man now doing all right you know but i think it's it's so funny that that uh this this is my personal experience that these things um Mm -hmm. still come up to this day oh you part of you you, no wonder you don't speak and and then i think it's important like you know knowing our history and people just asking questions and just assuming like and and not just assume like, oh, this is why this is happening. It's why this person doesn't Spanish. This is why they're not. They don't know about the culture. Like we don't know what's going on in their lives. And it's important, like, to just take a moment and just like ask a question. And a lot of us, we're okay with sharing like what we're going through. And you know, and I'm happy that you were able to see both perspective of like living with a black family and also getting back to your own roots and just having that that different perspective and connecting and finding a way to like, okay, as an adult now, I need to learn more about my history. I need to know what's going on and so that you can navigate around through the world and now you're teaching it to foster care kids you know kids who are in the system um you're taking your experience and you're sharing it with them to help them through this because they need our guidance they need us as social workers they need us to help them through this because with what's happening in, you know in the world like it's so heavy for them it's like they need an outlet they need someone like us to help them through this so like this is what you can do that you know if they have questions like how who can help them find those answers to the question that they're having and i think we also have to do our part right like one of our core competency or one of our core ethics right competency and just really understanding cultural competence what that means and 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 what our own identities are in doing this work majority of social workers are white right um, and so I think that it's, it's, it's really important for anybody going into the work to understand their own identity and intersectionality and the communities that they serve, because sometimes we end up doing more harm than good yeah. if, if we don't. Um, so I was watching coming today and Michael Jordan said that we have to be um, proximate and we have to like be close to discuss what's going on. Like it's important for us, like I said, as social workers, we have to teach those things. And I think the more of us that's out there, the more that they see us, they feel connected. Um, even with me, I'm doing therapy and I have like people of color and they feel connected because they're like, well, the, therapy, the people I was talking to, the therapy that I was, therapist I was having, I didn't feel connected. They didn't get it. And when they have someone like us that can relate and they're able to, 
talk about it and we provide that safe space for them, they can just let it all out, you know? And we, we do need to do more. We we need to, like, be more out there. We need to bring more awareness. And I think, like, with um, everything that's happening, I'm noticing, like, a lot of people, are, like you said, Bria, like, they're sharing resources, especially um, people of color that have um, private practice or any type of resources that that can be used for us right now we're like finding out about all of them like people are sharing those information for anyone who wants to get help for anyone who wants those resources mm-hmm. and as social workers in the field like for for you um john like jason like how can we um continue to guide you know young men or just men in general um especially the kids on foster care, but like how can we continue to guide them and so so that they don't inherit it, the secondary trauma as adults because this is definitely going to be a continuation for them. I think the biggest thing I always come back to is education. And and I don't, I don't mean it so, so much in like K through 12. I mean, that's a big part of it, but just being able to read books, learn more about who you are. And I think my, my, one of the biggest things that I try to take on in terms of a role in this work is helping people to understand the, the, the institutional racism that exists and being prepared to deal with it and figure out how to how to navigate in a in a society in a system that doesn't care much much for uh, people of color, right? And so I think for me, when I think of young men, or I think of men or young people in general. That's the one thing I want to bring to to like awareness for them is let's understand how dope we are as a people. Let's understand the history of our cultures and this country. And let's also figure out how, how we can navigate through it to still be able to achieve our goals and our dreams and et cetera. And um, that, that for me is the biggest thing, whether it's, it's through teaching, whether it's through training, like I'm a social worker, but I do macro level work. Right. Like I I do a lot of work around right now, male educators of color who are coming into the Department of Education. So a lot of a lot of my work, when I think when we create programming, when we create any type of session, when I'm facilitating at a conference, yo, I'm always thinking about the systemic trauma that educational system systems have created for black and brown folks and thinking about how we can create spaces of healing for them. Because, like I said, uh, you might not. People might not blatantly say mm-hmm. that a system is, is racist, but you feel the impact of it and you might have a lot of questions about it because you don't have the late language. So I want I want to arm people with that language that they can use to defend themselves, but also understand the context yeah. of the environment and, that they're in. And with everything that you said, I, I know that you have a workshop. Right. And so tell us a little bit more about that workshop that you have. And how you're empowering like young people through that workshop. So I do, I do, a, um, I do mm-hmm. everything for me is interconnected in some way. Right. And so, uh, one of, so I, I offer several different workshops and a lot of times when I, um, facilitate somewhere, they're all really around, it all kind of comes back to me for just like systemic trauma and oppression and stuff. But, uh, try to think about how we could do it through hip hop and through other means, um, of healing. And so the, the, the definition of healing that I often think about is one that's psych- psychological. It's not my own definition. I think it comes from um, San Diego State University, but psychological healing wounds heal only through the soothing, transformative, and liberating power of successful attachments to other human beings, right? So think about this for a second. 
what that means for me is that when I when I when I facilitate any type of session of any kind, I always think about the value of that human connection and what it means to be in a space and environment where folks can be vulnerable and 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 have real discussion about what's happening, but also being able to walk away with some sort of new information. Right. So I try to intentionally put people in a healing space without them even realizing it at times and allowing them to really talk about the topic at hand, whatever we're discussing there and making sure that they walk away with some sort of some, some sort of new information that they can now take on with them, whether that's creating that healing space, using hip hop as a form of healing, um, thinking about, thinking about what, what healing for them means further interrogating their own thoughts about whatever topic we spoke about. Right. So those are the different things that I really try to bring to spaces uh, when facilitating. So I think that that's, that's like the gist of it. When we talk about hip hop, we're not mm-hmm. just talking about like, here's lyrics, like unpack the lyrics, right? We might do that as an exercise, but we're talking about all the different forms and elements, mm-hmm. right? Hip hop is revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Hip hop is about building community. Hip hop is about uh, when you think about ciphers, right? That we didn't start that. That's that's tradition from mm-hmm. like you know Africa, right? And we think about the ways in which they these spaces were utilized. But what's important in those spaces? In ciphers, people are communicating, and they don't they don't necessarily say, "I'm going to jump in next." Yeah, they know when it's their turn to jump in. They're they're speaking in a in a, in a way where other people who aren't a part of the community won't be able to understand that. So how do, so for me, those are the different things that I keep in mind when building communities and yeah. doing facilitation and where for, can for anybody. where people find your workshops or where you facilitate? Yeah. So I've done, uh, the past couple of weeks, um, I've done a couple of panels that I've moderated, facilitated workshops uh, virtually because we're in this virtual space. So you can find those, um, on my new website, which is about to drop right now this weekend, uh, it's uh, jason-acasa.com. I have a resources page on there as well, which is like books and stuff stuff that you could read and look into for your own uh, knowledge and, and things, you know, things to, to help you unpack. Uh, you, I also have those YouTube videos there. But if you um, want to look, I just did this, this session for Hip Hop Can't Stop, mm-hmm. which is right out of okay. Harvard University on uh, hip hop and healing. So you can even go to their Facebook page or their Instagram. Um, but I think all the sessions have been recorded on Facebook. So if you just type in hip hop can't stop on Facebook, you'll find it. Um, and you can also find it on my website as well. And um, I've also just did a panel discussion for the gentleman's factory. So if you type that in YouTube, it should come up. It's literally was like this week. So that was around uh, our, our current state and the ways in which our black boys are, are impacted. So really to- two dope panelists and um on instagram as well and linkedin <laughs> yeah i'm kind of all over the place so we'll definitely be able to find me in our description box as well mm-hmm. um today was yeah. definitely a much needed discussion i have learned a lot um i feel a lot lighter yes <laughs> as well you know, i don't feel so anxious anymore Daily. i kind of like calm down <laughs> exactly and I think Jason you are doing such amazing mm-hmm. and beautiful work as well right. and um, I definitely commend you for what you're doing and just being able to speak with us today so I really truly appreciate it yeah thank you for having me uh, this was great it was exciting 
right? Uh, I'm yes, energized. Yes. So, uh, yes, so yes. It, was, it was a nice exchange of <laughs> but energy. But before we end, we're going to okay. end like with a wild card question. So we want to like um, get your uh-huh. answer. So pick a number from one to 10. Okay. Who would you Ten. want to be stranded with on a desert island? <laughs> Something fun. Who would I want to be stranded with? Um, if I was in a relationship, <laughs> I would say that woman. <laughs> Good answer. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, right now, if I'm thinking about this, this is a really good question. Um, who would I want to be stranded with? Can it, does it have Ooh, to be somebody who might want to be like be. a historical figure? <laughs> I think I would <laughs> stranded in an island, yeah, man, for the rest of my life. <laughs> Yo, it gotta, it gotta be my future wife. Right now, right now, I would. Um, I, I keep thinking about like historical figures and people who I just want to interrogate. So I wouldn't. I don't know that I necessarily want to be stranded in an island with them, but I would. I would want to spend some time interrogating their their thoughts and and who they are and how they came to be but like mm-hmm. i think a lot about james baldwin yeah. as somebody who i would love to just learn more about so i don't know i wouldn't want to be on an island <laughs> with him so it's kind of cheating to answer this but i do want to if i could sit down with somebody you know i definitely want to spend i'll spend a year just like picking this person's brain and I, yes, if i get yes, i get to come, come back, back on the island right or you can stay. it's up to you so so i, I it's, it's like boot camp training, right? And then, and I'll come back with that information, right? Just to figure out how I can continue to to build and learn. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of where my mind is in terms of where we are today. Having, like from having like this, you know, conversation, which is pretty heavy. And I think um, during this time too, like it's okay to like enjoy something that we want because right. I know like right now people are probably like saying like okay, can I have some fun with everything that's going on? Like, they don't want to feel, like, guilty because it's like, okay, I'm enjoying, like, a movie. I'm watching a movie. I'm not out here protesting. But I think it's something, we need something different. We need to, something to help us with this and thinking about, like, some of the things that you enjoy to do um, and why you're supporting for this, why you're making change, you know, doing change in the world. So it's something that is definitely needed. Well, Jason, thank you so much for talking to us today. Like, it was a great conversation, and I'm, I was so happy to have you on. And I can't wait for our listeners to hear, you know, this great conversation that we just had today. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, yes. this is exciting. So looking forward to hearing it myself. All right. Thanks, everybody.